Welcome to Northgate Bible Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast, where you can listen to our latest sermons, filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're outdoors, in the car, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. Married now. Uh, let's see here. Oh, there we go. And we have, so we have four kids all married, and we have seven grandkids from our older two. Uh, and as I said, we're living near our oldest daughter, Amy, and her family, who are, uh, we're in Jordan for about seven years and are now back in Chicago area, and they're trying to reach out to Muslims in the Chicagoland area. That's what they're focused on. Um, so Turkey is a NATO member state, but it's a Muslim-majority country, about 90 million people. There are fewer than 9,000 of them who are believers in, in Christ, a uh, very small number uh, of believers, uh, although it's a lot more now than it was 35 years ago. Uh, it was, I think, about 400 at that time known believers from Muslim background in the, in the country. And that's the part of the, the church that is growing. Uh, there's not much else actually left there. Most of the ethnically Christian folks, the ancient churches, the Armenians and the Greeks and the Syriac uh, churches, most of them have had to leave the country for one reason or another over the recent years. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, but it is growing, about 10% a year, and most of the churches that exist there now are Muslim background converts who have come to Christ, Turks, who, and most of those small fledgling churches are led by Turkish believers. So it's a very encouraging, but still very slow process in Turkey. Um, so we just give you three things that we've focused on or three words that have helped us think about our 35 years sowing and planting and watering uh kind of biblical word pictures there so by sowing i mean uh evangelism uh various kinds of things over the years not great evangelists but we have had to be involved in evangelism uh over these years uh friendship uh, conversational Bible studies, meetings, invitations, drinking lots of tea, uh, newspaper ads, and then visiting people who write in. Uh, now it's all internet, not so much newspaper ads. Uh, radio, so this was a radio program. I did a series of uh, programs that are on the radio through the Old Testament with an evangelistic sort of thing in mind. Uh, videos, uh, sewing. And Donna was also involved with refugees over the years. Uh, let's see if I have that. Uh, well, this is not refugees. This is uh, spending time with Turkish women. Uh, this is refugees uh, as she spent time with Afghan refugee women and children and mothers and uh, tots, uh, moms and tots, caring for them, just listening to them. She couldn't, she's a nurse, but she couldn't give uh, medical uh, give some advice, but couldn't actually practice any medicine there. Uh, planting is planting a church. Paul used those terms to describe trying to gather uh, believers together. And in uh, 1921 or 2021, we celebrated 30 years with this small gathering. It's about a it's a, a congregation of about 45, 50 people. Most of them would be Muslim background uh, believers. So we're thankful. It's uh, mostly led by uh, Turks now. Uh, a lot of time spent with women, meeting with them one-on-one, -on -one, helping them to learn to follow the Lord, 
it's quite a process coming out of that background, uh, although we all need that to grow through that, meeting with men, trying to teach them how to study the Bible, how to learn to preach, how to open up a passage, a training uh, people, brothers as elders. Uh, the guy on the left we walked through Alex, Alex Strauch's biblical eldership with, uh, which we got into Turkish quite a few years ago. Uh, he passed away some years ago. Uh, and the other brother there is uh, serving as an elder there in the assembly now. The watering, which I'll end with, is uh, thinking of, Paul used that term for watering churches. One plants, another waters. So this was more uh, go visiting other churches that were being planted. So following where they're being planted, uh, training people to go and teach the scripture systematically, walking through Old Testament, New Testament, uh, basic theology, uh, visiting people, giving uh, seminars, uh, about 10 hours usually, sometimes 20 hours on these subjects spread over a number of days or weeks, uh, training others to teach as well. So that's the planting. Oh, there was master's level that we were able to get started there uh, in more recent years. So university graduates who are in uh, Turkish churches, we were able to give them some more uh, advanced kind of biblical studies and those sorts of things. So that's been a, that has been a tremendous privilege and I've really enjoyed. Uh, these are uh, really eager young Turkish believers who love to study and working with them uh, for, through a course is just an amazing uh, thing to do. Uh, I directed that program for some years and then passed it on to a local brother there, Ali, on the on the left in uh, 2021, as after we had told them we were leaving. But foreigners were being kicked out of Turkey at that time as well, and so they had, the, the Turkish board that we had said, you need to train people to replace you, because we don't know when you're gonna be uh, gone. It was happening suddenly uh, to many people after that Andrew Brunson incident, which you can see there on the left, that, that was Andrew Brunson, remember that American pastor who was held in prison for a couple of years in Turkey. Finally, he was forced to let them go. And as soon as uh, he was forced, the Turkish government was forced to let him go by the American government. But as soon as they let him go, then they started kicking out foreigners as disturbers of the peace. So uh, the other thing that you've heard about in more recent years and there's uh, more recent months is this earthquake in southeastern uh, Turkey there, uh, covering the, the epicenter was in old Antioch, uh, which we call Antakya. Uh, and there's an, actually an article uh, uh, that I saw recently um, uh, in Missions Magazine, that's where it is, and, and they're uh, with a visit by George Sturm and others to Turkey and some of the work that, the, that they are doing there. Turkish Christians have been amazing in this relief. It's been one of the great things to see. They had prepared, because an earthquake was always impending. It's an earthquake-prone country. And they had prepared. And as soon as it happened, they were there with, with relief. And they've been there ever since. And they're still serving. Uh, and people have recognized that the Christians actually are still there when others have, when the government is not there. And there's, they're building whole housing and trying to help, because it was massive, massive earthquake maybe 100,000 people, somewhere between 50 and 100,000 people killed. And eight big provinces, think New Jersey to um, up in northern Massachusetts, all 
devastated. 80% of the buildings in Ant ancient Antioch were down. So just complete devastation. Uh, we are living now in Wheaton, Illinois, and uh, we are traveling back and forth. We were back in uh, Istanbul March and April. Uh, we can also do things from Wheaton. This is our uh, office in, in Wheaton, uh, doing video uh, Zoom seminars. Uh, can even do videos. Some of the young guys who are doing video, uh, YouTube um, things said, we do need old people. We do need, uh, we, you, you look like you know something. So we'll, if you can do short videos, uh, and we'll, we will post them on YouTube. So this was something on uh, the Law of Moses and Hammurabi, the Code of Hammurabi, because there's a lot of these objections that are raised. Why, how come it's so similar? Did they steal it? Did Moses steal it from the Code of Hammurabi, from Babylon? So those kinds of things, answering them, trying to, uh, with short Turkish videos. Uh, trying to write a few things uh, as well still. Hopefully I can still do that. So thank you. Uh, maybe I'll turn that off. Turn this off. Um, I'd like to look with you this morning. Uh, Turkey's a place oh, at Acts chapter 4. You can turn there. Acts 4, uh, and we're going to be thinking a little bit about opposition to the gospel and how we respond to opposition. Turkey, of course, believers know a lot of opposition. Uh, we've been since we've been in Wheaton, there is a weekly um, prayer meeting in one of the, the churches there, right near Wheaton College, for the persecuted church. And Donna has been going every week, and I've gone a number of times. It's quite a powerful thing uh, and sobering to read what's going on around the world, the, the thousands of believers that are killed or persecuted or driven out uh, every day in West Africa, Nigeria, uh, Southeast Asia, Eritrea, many other places. Uh, and there is opposition to the gospel. And I'd like to think with you this morning about how the, the church, the early church, responded to opposition. How did they respond? And we'll, we're going to notice how they used Psalm 2, the second psalm, as their source so this is one of my favorite subjects, the idea of how the Old Testament is used in the New Testament and how they, how they used this psalm to understand their situation and to pray. We'll see that they both prayed with this psalm, used these words from the psalm, took them to God, to the Father, and, and said, this is that. We, and grant us boldness because they understood. So we, if you're going to give any sort of a title to this, I would think of it as a Psalm 2 worldview, a Psalm 2 worldview in Acts 4. Uh, but so there will be three points we'll look at. One is sharing with Christ's, Christ in his sufferings. The second, also from the Psalm, will be uh, sharing with his sonship, living as sons and daughters of God, the firstborn, and, the, and his people, identifying, interceding as he intercedes, and then finally, uh, sharing in his spirit, sharing in his spirit as the gospel is proclaimed to the nation. So let's look at these 
Let's first read Acts 4 together. Uh, Acts chapter 4, and we're going to be reading from verse um, 23. Uh, the setting, I'll just explain the setting before we begin, but let, let me pray as we, as we read God's word. Father in heaven, we thank you for these holy scriptures again. We thank you that your word is living and inspired by your spirit and that you speak to us through the scriptures. We pray that you would speak to us today uh, again and refresh us, strengthen us, encourage us, uh, and motivate us, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. When they were released is the way the verse starts in uh, Acts 4.23. So what's the setting? When they were released, there had been a miracle. You remember that? Uh, Peter uh, and John going into the temple, and they, they saw this lame man, and he was healed, and he was walking and dancing and praising God. He was rejoicing, and the news of this miracle spread, and they were called in to account for themselves after Peter's sermon, uh, after Peter's second sermon in Acts 3, there were perhaps another 2,000 people who came to faith. It had grown to 5,000. Uh, it was growing rapidly, and the authorities were upset. And the opposition began to grow. They called them in. Uh, they were really annoyed, especially at one thing, that in Jesus, they were preaching the resurrection. They were preaching that this Jesus who they had crucified was risen. And that really upset them. They didn't like that. They called him in. Uh, they were uh, seen as disturbing the order. And as I mentioned, that's sometimes what happens to people who are preaching the gospel in many places. Now, we haven't been, we didn't suffer great persecution. There was opposition, but not great persecution while we were in Turkey. I did get called in two times, or once called in and once called while I was on my way somewhere by secret police and interviewed by them. But they didn't threaten me the way these uh, apostles were threatened later. But it was a very intimidating sort of thing. That was the goal, intimidation. We know everything you're doing. We know your bank accounts. We know, your, uh, we know everybody in your churches. We know uh, your teaching process. This is questionable. It's the way they put it in a kind of general terms. So this sort of tactic, very common. Uh, but Peter, filled by the Holy Spirit, it says in chapter 4, just continued to preach. And he preached. He told them, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised, and he has seated him as, at his right hand. And he is the, God has made him the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no other name. And they were angry. They didn't beat them that time, but what did they do? They threatened them. They said, you are not going to speak anymore in this name. No more preaching in Jesus' name. And what did they do? They kept preaching in Jesus' name. And, but they did something else before they did that. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends, and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Here's, that's the proper response for opposition in our society to the gospel and to the truth. Lifting our voices to God. They didn't send a delegation to Rome. They 
lifted their voices to God. They held a prayer meeting. They prayed together about it. And that's what we, we too are called to do. And, when, and what did they pray? And here's where we will come to the psalm. First, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, look at the, the, the view of scripture here, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Here's how to pray together. Sovereign Lord of all, they prayed with the knowledge and awareness that God was sovereign over all things, that those things that were happening were God would use what was meant for evil for good. He was sovereign. He had done that by raising Jesus from the dead. He had used his death on the cross as the atoning sacrifice, and he had raised him from, from the dead. And they knew this. And if you look at how they used this to clarify their own situation. What's, this, what's the psalm say? Let's go to, I'm going to read the first three verses of Psalm 2, so we have it from there as well. And this is what they're quoting. And this gives us the interpretation of what that psalm was ultimately about. What's it say? Psalm 2, verses 1 to 3. They're praying scripture. Very important to pray scripture. Who do the why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. They remind God of this psalm. And they see its fulfillment in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. That's what they say. They say that truly in this city, there were gathered together the rulers of the Gentiles and the Jews, and they crucified Christ. This was the opposition. That opposition of the psalm is the opposition in Jerusalem. And what we are now going through, they're saying, is part of that opposition. They share in the sufferings, the opposition to Christ. It's not something separate from that. The rulers of the world plotted together, as they do. They plotted against it. They get, came together. They agreed on only one thing. We will not have this man reign over us. We won't have it. Pharisees, Sadducees, Romans, everyone came together on this one thing. And they united in that. They saw this clearly. If you look at the nations and our nation and other nations and you see the turmoil and the arguing and the fighting and the, the struggling and the polarization and everything that's going on, ultimately we have to see that it is rebellion against God and against his rule. They don't know that. That may not be the deliberate thing they're doing. And people on both sides may even think that they are doing God's will. 
as Muslims do. They think they're doing their persecution for God. But ultimately, it's against God and his Christ. That's what uh, is going on. They do not want God's good, holy, freeing, just rule over them. They do not want that. They see this as enslaving. And what are the words used there? Bonds or fetters and cords, ropes. They see it as repressive, oppressive, patriarchal, whatever you want to call it in today's language. We will not have this. We don't want this rule. We don't want the rule of Christ. Their motto is not the motto of Wheaton College that I see so close to us, for Christ and his kingdom. They don't want that. We will not accept it. But God has used this opposition for his purposes. They did whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. So this is the first part of this worldview. We see that the world and its turmoil is in rebellion against God and his kingdom, especially against his Christ, his Messiah, his son. And we don't expect, we should not expect the world to be on the side of the church and his people. That's not what we should expect, not in this worldview that they understood. What did Christ say? If they hate me, they will hate you. And it's not a war to be won through political means, ultimately. It's through prayer. It's standing firm. That's where we must ultimately be. We share in his sufferings. The opposition is opposition to him. And this is central to our Christian worldview, the cross. First point, we share in the cross. It was for us, and we are crucified with him, and we endure, if we endure anything, if there is opposition, it is to that. And even, I remember, uh, Doug uh, will remember John Reed from um, Terrell Road. I remember a message he gave on Lot one time, father of Dave Reed, who was well known as a professor at, at Emmaus. He said, Lot, and I never forgot it, explained the, a different type of suffering that a believer goes through. Lot vexed his righteous soul day by day as he observed, he listened to, and endured the things that were going on around him. There is that sort of difficulty and oppression, and it is for the sake of righteousness, because our righteous, the spirit within us, rebels against that, what is going on. Second point, we'll read from verse 29, and this is what they prayed. This is what they asked for. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We share not only in his sufferings, but we share in his Sonship, if you'll allow me to use that phrase to explain this whole section and how they use the psalm. They pray for enablement. They don't pray for protection. They pray for enablement to preach, to speak the word of God boldly and with confidence. You don't find the New Testament believers praying that much for safety. They pray for courage and boldness. Uh, so pray that for believers in other countries Pray for boldness, pray for courage to stand firm, even when they are threatened with their lives. 
Where does this focus come from? They ask God to extend his hand to work in the name of Jesus, to do powerful things, to accompany the gospel. Where does this perspective come from, that this is what God is going to do? Well, I think it comes from Psalm 2. Return to the psalm, and we find that at the core of this new worldview as believers in Jesus, they see that he is the exalted king. They understand that this is God's plan. He's going to come. He's right now glorified. And this is how we live in this age. This is our calling in this age, is to recognize him and to acknowledge him. They now know this eternal father-son relationship. They see it in the, in the psalm, the father and the son. And they see that, and they recognize that they too have been called into that wonderful relationship. Truly, our, as one of the apostles says, John, in his first epistle, truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. They're living that, that fellowship, that sonship relationship, belonging to the firstborn, being raised up as children, sons and daughters of the living God, calling God Father. Where does that come from? Well, let's read the psalm. Of course, it comes from the teaching of the Lord Jesus himself, but it was prefigured in this psalm. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The opposition is ludicrous. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And then the Messiah, the, the son, speaks in response. I have set my king. The king speaks. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. This is what he's, the son is called to do. And this is what we are called to join in. Ask of me. Ask of me. And I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. God laughs at them, it says. He declares that he has set his servant, his king, his son, and he's the one who is going to reign. This is set. This is God's plan. This is the gospel uh, of the kingdom that Peter and Paul preach in the, gospel of, in the book of Acts. If you go to Acts 13... Peter, Paul also quotes this exact same psalm as he says, This we bring you the good news, that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So this is that. And I think we can uh, take courage here. The rulers crucified him. The opposition is real. But God said, this is my son. He raised him from the dead as the epistle to the Romans begins. He declared him to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. This is my son. And he sits at the right hand of God until the end of the age, at which time the enemies will be made his footstool. Psalm 110. He will come again in power to break the nations with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces. But today he intercedes as the son priest, as the great high priest. He intercedes for us, and I would, 
I believe that the Lord Jesus, who leads the mission and who calls on his people to go, as, I have, as the Father sent me, so send I you, he is also asking for the nations. Those ones from the nations who will be given to him. And we should be thrilled to be intercessors. And I would like to encourage us as for congregational intercession to strengthen, and I think this is perhaps the weakest thing in most of, the, uh, most of our churches, is that we do not spend much time in prayer together. And we mostly pray about uh, a few things that concern us locally. We don't intercede in long intercession for people to be given to the church, to be saved for the preaching of the gospel, for boldness, for courage. Maybe you do here. Uh, but it's, it's rare that you find extended prayer together. It's not easy. But that's what the New Testament church uh, did. And they did this because they now knew that God was Father. There's a great book. I just found it again. And I'm gonna, I found it on Audible, actually, so we'll listen to it tomorrow as we drive back to, to Wheaton or Monday. Or, yeah, that's tomorrow. Um, it's called I Dared to Call Him Father. It's by a Muslim uh, woman from Pakistan. And she, uh, I haven't read it for a long time, but we have it in Turkish as well. It's her journey because a Muslim will not call God Father. They only know God as fearsome. And they try to please him because they, know, they do not know the way to the Father. Because they reject the Son. They don't know the Son. They don't know the way to the Father through him. Uh, so I dared to call him Father. And we have no problem with that, do we? We call God Father. We know the Father. The, the Lord Jesus has revealed to us the Father. We are among those who he says in Matthew 11, all, everyone to whom I will reveal him. No one knows the Father except those to whom I reveal him. And this is the focus of our Lord Jesus' teaching. He trains us as sons and daughters of the Father. I only have a couple minutes, so we're going to sum up the answer to prayer. And here we see that we also share in his spirit, in Christ's spirit. We share in his sufferings, we share in his sonship, and we share in his Spirit, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That was the answer, the one great needed answer, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common and with two great things, with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Power, courage to speak, and grace to forgive and love and be one. What wonderful thing to have, great power and great grace. And that characterized the church. They were filled with his life in their community, loving, caring, united, under growing opposition, they abounded with joy and with hope. And that came from corporate prayer together. And I would encourage us again, and I'm including myself in this, because we are not part of a large corporate 
prayer uh, as we should be, or as we, I w- we would love to see. Um, and he will fill us with his spirit, and he will enable us to grow. What did they preach? The apostles, it says, preached boldly. I think they preached what you find in the last three verses of Psalm 2. This is the Spirit's voice. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. How's that for an invitation? Kiss the Son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Be wise, be warned, take refuge in him. And above all, what the spirit and the bride say, come, right? Kiss the son. In Turkey, an older person, uh, when you, especially when we were first there, will, when they're meeting a young person, will hold out their hand like this, not to shake hands, And the younger person will take the hand and kiss it and put it to their forehead to say, I honor you. Kiss the son. Honor him. No one can honor the father unless they honor the son, it says. Kiss the son. This is what we are called to invite people to do, to invite them to come in. And this is what they continued to do. The next time they get called in, they got beaten. You remember chapter 5. They again proclaimed the same message. Jesus, whom you crucified, God has raised. He is Lord. He's exalted to give you forgiveness of sins. Turn to him. And they took them and they beat them. And how did they respond? They left the council after being beaten, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, In the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the anointed, or the Christ, it says, is Jesus. He's the one. So we'll close. I'll just repeat the three, what I would call life-changing certainties of a a worldview based on Psalm 2. One is that we share in his sufferings, that opposition that we may face as it grows in this country, and it is growing, no question about it, is really opposition to the Lord. Uh, It is, we share in that suffering. We share in his sonship, not only the cross, but the resurrection, his glory, and we can intercede with him. And finally, we share in his spirit. He has given his spirit to us. And so let us invite and entreat people to take refuge in him. Let's pray together. We thank you, Father, for the wonderful truth of the gospel again, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared. And we give you praise today for our Lord Jesus Christ. We have gathered this morning earlier to kiss the Son to do honor to our Lord Jesus, and we pray that you would strengthen us in this and help others to be drawn in. We pray that there might be many, many people brought to Christ through this assembly, through this area. I pray, Lord, this morning for Turkey that you would draw a great number, not 10,000, but hundreds of thousands, a million people, Lord. May they come to Christ there as they are in 
in Algeria and Iran and other parts of the Muslim world. Father, work mightily, draw Muslims and Hindus and uh, Americans and Chinese to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.